Hi, I'm Gio. And I'm Renee. And this is Listen To Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest and unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so that I already wrote a joke about print screening and I can't remember what it is. Oh no, it was about Studio Ghibli, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. We we, we ditched that one. <laughs> yeah, we did. I'm just excited to talk to my friend Lanny today about their printmaking and their drawings, um, which are really, really cool. I remember the last time that we were set up to interview them because the timing didn't work out, but I was talking about how a lot of their sketches have sort of like a muscularity and like a corporeality. I don't know if that's the word I want, but I'm going with it. That reminds me a lot of Princess Mononoke. You saw that, right? I've seen it like at least five times, and yes, I just rewatched it last weekend with my sister. Oh, uh, yes, I love it because so she had never seen it. You know, like all of those the mm-hmm. demons in the forest that are infected because Lady yes. Hatred, uh, Lady. Oh my gosh, what's her name? Godiva. <laughs> Lady Godiva riding naked on her horse through the forest. <laughs> Lady Laura Seacord. <laughs> she shoots. <laughs> I don't know. I know you don't. (laughs) She shoots them with her. I almost want to say Lady Toshiba, but I know that's (laughs) (laughs) me. Lady Toshiba. (laughs) Lady Mitsubishi. Renee, that's just a Japanese word that's in your mind. Oh my God, figure it out. That's so funny. Anyway, Lady Aboshi, Lady Mm -hmm. Aboshi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So all of the gods of the forest who are infected when she shoots them, they have like all of these like, it's almost like parasites that manifest on their skin. And it's really like gross and creepy, but it's like cool at the same time. I feel like a lot of Lanny's sketches have that same quality because they really focus on like the musculature of the figures that they're drawing, but there's always something creepy. And I know this personally because Lanny and I are in book club together. And every time we do a round table and ask people what they've been reading, Lanny's always been reading something really, really creepy or like to do with like um, decay or like fungus or like some like, uh, anyway, it's cool. It's cool. I've taken pretty much all of their book recommendations because I'm like, yeah, I'll read that. Yeah. I was checking out their work earlier and there's like a, I wouldn't say it's three dimensional, but there's depth to the way that the figures are drawn or painted and there's one in particular i i don't know if there was a title for it but i was admiring it and they had written in the caption that this was a like i'm paraphrasing but like this was like a fuck up i sometimes i'm not like we're not happy with our work blah 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 and i'm like this was my favorite one this is one that i like it stuck out and i saved it like i was like i like this (laughs) and it's never as bad this is so funny because it reminds me of something that my sister said too so she and i were on the phone together while she was doing watercolor which is a like hobby that she's picked up recently just to de-stress and she was like complaining to me oh yeah (laughs) along along with her card making she sends Um, homemade constructed cards to us for every occasion and sometimes for no occasion at all it's awesome that's very cute it is very sweet um but anyway so she was like working on this watercolor and she was like 
she was like crying to me a little bit like you know in that way where she was kvetching she wasn't actually crying but mm -hmm. she was like oh i'm like i fucked up the face on this or the eye on this so bad and like whatever and i'm like i'm sure it's not as bad as you think it is because you're the one who notices like how bad it looks and because you've been working on it you've been staring on it right of course. So after we got off the phone, she sent me a picture of what she had done. And I was like, I think that looks really good, actually. Like, I can't tell where you messed it up. And then she laughingly responded that she had actually tried to remake it. And the second version turned out worse, <laughs> than, <laughs> worse than the first. And but I was like, like See? her standards? And no, it was a little bit wonky. It looked weird. <laughs> she sent me a picture of it. <laughs> Anyway, I want to see it now. I can I can forward you the messages. Anyway, how are you doing? We kind of did our backwards, <laughs> did it backwards, where, where we did the intro first, talked about our guest, and now we're going to talk about how we are. I am in a good space right now. Life is, you know, moving along. I have four more days of pushing through, and then I'm taking a week off. Nice. I'm going up to a cottage. I cannot wait to just not talk or see anyone. Yes. <laughs> like, but otherwise I'm good, you know, uh, I'm wrapping up my contract with the Americans. I don't know if I've even talked about it on the podcast, but I can't, <laughs> I can't recall. I can't require my brain is fried. Uh, I know it's obligatory that I talk about the weather every time we get on the podcast. <laughs> it's so fucking hot here. It's 34 degrees in Alberta, which is unheard of. Yeah, it's same oh, here. It's really my hot. Gosh. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm envious of your vacation. I don't think there's a vacation in my future for a little while unless I can score some sweet flights via I've... my sister. Uh, <laughs> I also spent some time applying for EI today. That took me two hours. Everyone I talked to was really nice, though. Um, oh, over the phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've never done that before. I've never applied for employment insurance, so that was weird uh, for me. When I first did it, like, years ago, and this is, like, how fucked our, like, situation is with, like, just the way that our system is, where I felt guilty or bad yeah. that I was dipping into it, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to do it. And then, meanwhile, I'm like, we pay into it. We should collect when we need it. I really, uh, that really resonates with me too. And I really don't know like where that mentality comes from. Like, I know that it comes from a broader sort of like capitalist driven yes. society, but like growing up, it was so stigmatized. Like when yeah. my parents oh, yeah. would talk about people being on EI, it was like, that was the worst thing you could do short of like committing homicide yeah like you're working you're using the system it's like but the system's there but to the help system's you there to help and actually the system is like horrible and it's not as good as it could be so like anybody who's accessing it isn't getting as much help as they should and i've no. talked about this a little bit before but the irony was that when my dad got really really ill and went on disability like it was that system that gave him any quality of life for the yep. amount of time that he had left and he actively railed against it his entire life like which is just so anyway <laughs> if you need to go on ei or access any other sort of social benefits please do it and do call renee feel bad all right let's go talk to lanny yes! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, did you miss me? Hello. 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 How are you, my friend? <laughs> I am well. Can you hear me okay? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, good. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. 
I know we've DM'd in the past and uh, <laughs> we've chatted, but it's nice to put a face to the the messages, the artwork, the magic. <laughs> that is me. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about all of the different stuff uh, that we like about your art. And one of the things that came up was Princess Mononoke. So we're mm -hmm. drawing some like strong connections there. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that we figured it out. Hi, I own every Ghibli movie. <laughs> yes. There's some that have been uploaded to Netflix that I had never heard of. I, I can't oh, really? think of the names, but there was a few where I was like, I don't think I've ever heard of that movie. Yeah, like there are a lot because not all of them are um, Miyazaki either. Some of them are yeah. his, the other directors. Uh, what is his name? Takahata? I was trying to watch uh, When Marnie Was Here the other day and my sister was yeah. like, don't watch it. Because I was, well, she said it was sad and I was like just watching it to relax and she was like, you're going to cry though. And I was like, oh um, Depends. I watched it with my partner and we were, and I warned her. I said, so this is going to feel like a romance. Oh, no. it's not <laughs> oh, no. but that's okay you can pretend it is for a good section of the movie. yeah 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 just live in the fantasy of it I love that yeah <laughs> just live in it and then you get to hear the real story and you're like shit I like both versions yeah yeah, oh. yeah. so if you want to tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself who you are and what your creative jam is please I am Lenny also known as Leanne and online I'm known as Newt um, Where does that come uh, from? I'm going to ask uh, now. <laughs> well, you might as well ask now. I think it's because my sister and I randomly named accounts Frog and Newt when we were little. <laughs> I think that we were on the, the PS2 or something. I liked it better than any other nickname I had personally chosen myself. And a lot of the ones that people have given me are goofy insider jokes. And they're mostly from my sister. So I am a graduate with a Bachelor of Fine Arts major in printmaking, and that's still my passion. Since getting that degree, I have mostly worked in retail. I have done a little bit in the art world, but I didn't really find it my cup of tea. So I think that's it. I mean, I like drawing monsters. <laughs> I like drawing body horror and um, creating random things. That was my nickname in university, Body Whore. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had, to, I had to take it. You had to. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, Gio and I were talking about that because there's so much like, I don't know, there are like words for it. And it's like funny because usually I find my words pretty easily, but it's hard. Like, it's almost like there's such a like physicality to your work, but mm -hmm. it's also like disturbing, but in a good way kind of edges on the side of sublime but also exists in a liminal space <laughs> yes, yes. of not quite fitting uh, all categories or at least the few that it's assigned to <laughs> yeah so I heard that you like to dabble in printmaking <laughs> I do uh, dabble I do it's definitely not what I expected considering as a teen, I did not expect to be even a fine arts adjacent artist. Mm -hmm. Printmaking caught my heart. I love the process. I love the restrictions of the process, but also you can do so fucking much with it. I haven't done a lot lately because uh, mm -hmm. affording studio time is hard. You can also print at home. So I do a lot more uh, lino cuts. And then when I can get studio time, I do etchings. 
And then if I'm feeling fancy, I do screen printing. So what drew you to it in the first place? And how does it differ as a medium from something like sketching or painting? I started schooling in Red Deer College and they had this basically a two-year program and you got a chance to try out the second year programs because you had no clue what you were getting into. Um, I swear you, it's okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> good. I just got off work and all I want to do is swear. Do it. Give <laughs> um, us your rage, your retail rage. Anyway, uh, yeah, so they basically let you have tester uh, classes so you could see what it was like before you went into it because it was kind of a jump from here's the fundamentals now you're doing printmaking now you're doing ceramics now you're doing bronze casting like stuff like that you had no idea what was going on and Mm -hmm. you'd never seen it before so the intro class I took it and I just was fascinated because you basically are planning out a drawing and then in the simplest terms you're making a stamp of it so you can make multiples. Mm-hmm. I really liked just the technique, the history, and I thought, you know what, why not? I don't want to do 3D work. That's most of the other courses, so I'm going to take the printmaking. It made me feel happy. Yeah, I just fell head over heels. I am obsessed with the terminology, the history, the use of these old tools in a new setting, because I mean, not many people make handmade books anymore or hand-printed things. So I always have to make sure I say, I'm a printmaker. I don't make prints, but I do. <laughs> because a lot of people <laughs> get confused. And uh, my old boss used to call me, so you are a photocopier. And I'm like, well, technically yes, but also no, fuck off. <laughs> I do this by hand, man. <laughs> I think that there's definitely a resurgence even in more tactile expressions of art because we've come such a long way with like digital applications of art and we've seen so much in the last like even 10-15 years of the digital art that people are creating but I do know that like on Imgur and TikTok and Instagram some of the videos that go viral as fuck are the videos of people engaged in these like really old sort of basic traditions of like either printmaking or like book binding like I'll sit and watch a book binding video oh it is for hours it's so much fun and I love watching especially people who are good at it I'm very um fumbly in my methods but it's so relaxing and I can just in a way the process itself is meditative I never found that with um painting it felt too frustrating and emotional I was reacting to everything I did so quickly Um, and it always twisted me up and I hated how I felt while I was painting more so than I did in printmaking. It was fucking frustrating though. (laughs) Like you do a butt ton of work and then it doesn't turn out or something (laughs) happens or you forgot your plate in the acid too long Mm -hmm. or your hand slips and you just took out a whole section of anything. So there's still frustrations, but I don't know. It's, it's not as emotionally frustrating to actually physically do something like that because Gio you're a painter so you're one of those crazy people <laughs> uh, you do I mean, do it you're I paint pa- you do it you're a painter I paint Explain but I have it. like you said I I haven't actively painted in months uh, no, so it's, a month. <laughs> no, like I'd say like from the beginning of the year so at least like five yeah. six months but and I haven't way, made a print right in half a year 
I participated in a print exchange last year just to keep myself busy. And I haven't made one since. I would like to, but motivation is hard right now. <laughs> yes. What uh, what materials do you like to use? Because I know that there's different methods. Oh, there's a lot. Um, so my preference is towards the easiest one to get to and the one I can do at home and then rent short times at the studio and things like that is lino or wood carving. Yeah. So very like posterized graphic looking images and I really love them so much <laughs> one day I'm hoping to learn a Japanese printmaking method which is different because it uses watercolors mm -hmm. on the on the wood block instead of the oil-based inks that the western printing uses more often so that would be a cool thing to learn second favorite is etching it's the secret lover that I didn't know I would have in my life because <laughs> um, the process is frustrating and it has a lot of flexibility in it. Unlike the lino, you make your image, you carve it. That's what you got. Yeah. In etching, you can always go back. You can scrape, you can burnish, you can undo, redo, layer things. And so that freedom always is so scary to me. But mm -hmm. yet the kind of lines I can get from an etching is very much like sketching. I've always been a very like comfortable in sketching mm -hmm. and it just looks great. So <laughs> that's, that's my uh, secret lover that uh, hides in the background and surprises me sometimes. Have you ever used plexiglass? Yes. Uh, is well, that not the most, cool. that to me is the most frustrating. I've done plexiglass and specifically <laughs> it was a self-portrait. I was like 19 in school. Ooh. It was, <laughs> I, I basically made myself look like a witch because of this right here. <laughs> I chose a profile and it was like the worst. Oh my God. And, I, and, and the picture I used, I just, it was a, I had um, Aldo sunglasses on. I don't know why. Yes. <laughs> and, but anyway, the, 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 it was so frustrating to use plexiglass. I don't know. It just not, it's not, I, I don't like it as much. <laughs> it's not the same. So I have no. played around with it. And I know a lot of people have been exploring a lot more at home methods of printmaking because mm -hmm. of everything happening with the pandemic. Um, the yeah, the panorama, the, yeah. the pandemic, yeah. the quarantini. <laughs> you called it the Panda Express the other day and I laughed for like 10 minutes. That's great. I'm going to use that on my sister. She's going to die. <laughs> yeah, so like people are even etching onto old CDs, like the back of CDs. That's and cool. pulling prints from those because etching is a form of printmaking called intaglio which basically means that you're putting ink into the grooves and then pulling it out. While relief printing is like a wood block or a lino where you're putting ink on top of the raised areas and pulling the ink off. So where you've made grooves is gonna be white. And the opposite is true for the intaglio methods. Getting to play around with CDs was interesting. Uh, it's definitely hard to print that stuff at home without a press so yeah. I, I i even the plexia i i miss i miss using the presses they're so much fun i adore them are there any maker spaces in um the edmonton public library branches that support printmaking? Um, i don't believe so though i haven't looked into it because what i'm uh, most familiar with is the local printmaking group called SNAP, which is the Society of Northern Alberta Printmakers. They provide the studio space because 
that's the one other nice thing about printmaking. It's very communal. Like it creates community because who can afford a like $20,000 press <laughs> to do their work on? So all of it is often communal spaces shared amongst people. And I do volunteer work with them, but uh, that's where I go to do my printmaking. They used to do a lot of events too. So they did like a drink and ink, which was a drink and draw, but with printmaking. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those were always interesting and fun and very entertaining to run as a sober person so <laughs> that's another thing that I really am attached to is the community that printmaking kind of fosters yeah absolutely mm-hmm. it's like that with so much art we get so much validation and I think just like encouragement and stuff from our communities and like I know that you and I have connected through the New Cambrians writing group and book club. And it's like the same stuff. Like whenever I'm having a kind of like fallow period where I'm just like tired and I don't want to do anything. And then I connect with the New Cambrian group. I'm like, I can do stuff. I'm going to do stuff. It's going to be good. I'm, I'm going to leave this meeting right now and go write some stuff. Like I got this. Yeah. And after the meetings, I'm always like, hmm. Yeah. I've been drawing this whole time. Maybe I'll just actually do something with these. <laughs> yes, that's so nice. Yeah, because I, I, I'm, I'm usually doodling during uh, a lot of Zoom calls and meetings and things. Yeah, absolutely. That is my entire life summarized in yes. like just every textbook, every notebook, every anything. Yeah. There are literally like I was literally just thinking of that of high school. Even my like work notebooks have like tons doodles on them and stuff like yeah like I have kept most of my university notebooks from all of my electives because they're full of cute doodles that were just like stay awake pay attention mindless doodling I I need to keep my hands busy (laughs) so (laughs) So that I can pay attention okay I have a question sorry I'm just I'm just gonna cut in rudely I'm sorry but not sorry (laughs) because I no, I'm just genuinely curious because absentmindedly, you know, when you just automatically, like, if that's something that you do, because I'm the same, where I just, I'll start doodling stuff. What is, like, the thing that you draw the most, just automatically? Bodies. Okay. So, like, the, the full figure? Yeah. Bodies uh, would be the main thing. Sometimes I draw goopy bits. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> uh, just like a goopy bit. I Have like you seen? A lumpy art? thing? <laughs> like squiggles but like dripping squiggles I was trying to yeah. explain to Gio how like every time we have a book club meeting you're always reading something that's like slightly body horror-ish and there's yes. goo like it could be plant goo it could be people goo you may not even ever find out what the source of the goo is but it's goopy I totally know what you mean you're not talking about Gwyneth Paltrow we are talking about actual goo. no <laughs> not not the crazy goop the weird goop right <laughs> <laughs> random shit like that and so it's kind of those shapes and those Miyazaki shapes like Nausicaa the mushrooms forest the fungus forest or in Princess Mononoke the curse that is just kind of goopy Mm -hmm. tentacles everywhere so that kind of stuff ends up in the margins a lot in Mm -hmm. my texts my thing is eyes I draw eyes Uh, there are eyeballs on everything everything and anything that I own there are eyeballs and it's just like 
I just have accepted it. <laughs> yeah. It's either bodies or just random faces because I think, you know what? Maybe I should do faces. Let's balance it out a little bit. <laughs> school sort of like formative experience drawing and like anime influence have you ever looked mm-hmm. at junji ito or ito's like scary terrifying i you're looking at books on your shelf <laughs> <laughs> they're on the lower shelf but yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. but m- m- much later i only found right. out about junji ito from a co-worker yeah. when i was at the art store so yeah once i did found him I was like oh where have you been all my life so yes I yeah I could totally see that resonating really strongly with you because very creepy lots of goo yeah that zit lots of blood splatter random stuff weird tongues that's the other thing oh yeah definitely the fleshiness is like fleshy tongues yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um oddly enough when I was younger it wasn't horror that I was interested in uh a lot of what I read at least manga wise was fantasy or but do you think there was an aspect of like Japanese manga that like we don't see in western fantasy of sort of like these exaggerated body shapes and exaggerated bodies and creatures so the only time you really saw weird creatures often was on the covers of like fantasy books that are four inches thick and as much as I loved reading, I had a very hard time with high fantasy and high sci-fi. So I never read those ones. I looked at the covers. I had the wonderful job of a page as a, as a high schooler. So I looked at a lot of book covers, but in manga, they're everywhere. Like creatures are everywhere. There's always a big bad and it's not always a person, yeah. which is definitely something that's quite intriguing. And of course, like the first anime-esque thing I was introduced to was my brother gave us the Nausicaa movie to watch yeah and I was hooked (laughs) (laughs) yeah there are a lot of weird ass creatures in that movie yeah and it was great because we were a lot younger Uh, my brothers are 10 and 12 years older than I am whenever Nausicaa was released or even before then because my brother was very good at technology that's what I got to see and I became obsessed with <laughs> with being able to have creatures that were good. Like I always been fascinated by folklore and mythology and yeah. getting to see visual representations of them Yes, yeah. was very inspiring because oddly enough, I have a hard time visualizing things, which doesn't quite make sense, but it's getting to see other people's interpretations of that definitely influenced me a lot as a kid. And I mean, Pokemon, Digimon, yeah those were those were big for me yeah because I was gonna say there I I was first exposed to this actually like a few years ago um like through probably Inktober or one of like the drawing competitions on Instagram but I know that I ended up kind of going down the as you do this rabbit hole of internet research because somebody tagged their post like with yokai and I didn't I wasn't familiar with that term and I didn't understand it yeah intense right but it makes so much sense to me that that would be appealing and I definitely saw aspects and forms so for people who don't know this and want to google it later yokai are Japanese kind of spirits and demons and they're really weird 
they are they're folklore yeah I definitely saw forms and sort of creatures that I recognize from the popular kind of Japanese intellectual properties that I grew up seeing like on TV and stuff and I was like oh I'm like this it's kind of like filtered through you know like a kid's cartoon lens but like I recognize this for sure there's this thing that I've known all my life oh here's the source of the thing I've known. (laughs) here's the woodblock version of it (laughs) here's here's the key block All the other ones were there, but this one makes all of it make sense now. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that makes total sense to me, yeah. I was definitely the kid running around playing Digimon in the the schoolyard with my friends. Yeah, I remember that as well. I Mm -hmm. love Digimon. Yeah. It actually kind of trumps Pokemon for me. I adore Digimon. I mean, they're they're illustrated so much better. The way that they transform (laughs) is better. I it's love darker. It. Yeah, it was <laughs> more adult. Drama was more intense, from what I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was more impactful. Yeah, no, it was just more intense. I and I love that about it. It felt like there was actual stakes happening. Mm. Like yeah. I wanted to know what happened. And however, I grew up. I had a very consistent didn't watch series in order uh, experience. <laughs> so probably saw like six episodes multiple times because that's just happened to be what was on i was just gonna say i don't our listenership skews more toward like the late like mid to 20s like like mid 30s but like we do have some people who are younger and uh, if in case you need a reminder binge watching was not always a thing so you were at the mercy of whatever (laughs) network was broadcasting the shows that you watched and yes same thing that was how that was my experience watching sailor moon it was yeah, like, no, I, I watched the whole series, but six episodes, I could tell you literally every frame of everything. them because those yes. are the ones that I saw over and over again. That's the thing though. Great side tangent, cute story. Um, my All of my grandparents live in other provinces, um, existed elsewhere while I was growing up. And my Nana, we did, we had three channel, three channels growing up. That's all I had. So it was Care Bears. Uh, that's the main one I remember. Yeah. Care Bears. And if I could catch it, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and if I could catch it, Gargoyles. <laughs> oh, Gargoyles. Those are like the main things I watched, but my Nana would record, she had cable, so she would record shows she thought she, we would like, and in total, I think we had three Sailor Moon like episodes and one VHS tape that I still have that we would watch, and that was it. That's all I knew of Sailor Moon, but we obsessed over it so much, my mom would like search for toys if she could find them for us, because- yeah. We loved it. And all we needed was three episodes in a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're so like, this my is would context. We're just going to run with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She so would tape sweet. them and she'd mail them for PEI. <laughs> that is so sweet. Also, I'm like on a total tangent in my mind about like gargoyles now and thinking about like monstrous forms and stuff like that. And I recently explained to Gio what monster fucking is. And now I'm like having a moment where I'm like, gargoyles, was that part of a monster fucking awakening for me? Like, what is happening the other aspect is i as a uh, high schooler was definitely a anthro artist <laughs> i was a i guess a furry artist in a sense oh, okay. like yeah, that's yeah. what i drew because oh, i didn't like, want yeah. anything to be real <laughs> <laughs> so i drew yeah. things that didn't already exist that's what i liked yeah so yeah. that's what i grew up doing in the junior high high school era was I drew anthropomorphic characters (laughs) 
Uh, um, yeah, so I think we're, there's no like neat or graceful way to segue into this, but it is really interesting because I do think that we label ourselves depending on kind of what we're drawn to in our art and also sort of the art that we produce. It's just really funny that Gio was getting a little bit like uncomfortable about you being like, oh, Gio, you're a painter. Cause I make that association with Gio too. Cause Gio talks about <laughs> painting. I don't you paint. paint. You I, was like, where, I was like, quiet. where's Renee going with this? I'm like, uncomfortable. What? <laughs> like, so I'm publicly outing him as a furry now and we're gonna have this okay. conversation. <laughs> influence you think labels have on art and on artists kind of how we see ourselves and how the world sees us and even how we navigate sort of artist spaces because you were talking about how you were involved kind of like in the fine arts community and you have done some public things like I know that you had um gallery showing with snap and I know that you you covered anti-langorous magazine which is a lit mag in Alberta um so what has your experience been like and kind of like how do we navigate those labels when I look at labels, a lot of what I see is restriction. And I think the biggest example of that, and I guess the broadest example uh, in regards to artists is when I worked at an art store and I would be asking, well, what do you do to the people who were joining the artist? They're like, oh, I'm not an artist. I'm not the artist. Yeah. What do you do? Someone will say, oh, I do duck carvings. I'm like, there you go, you're an artist. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> People feel that if they don't do a specific kind of creativity, they can't be an artist. So in my mind, like a craft person, an artist. My dad who repairs guitars, I consider that an artist. Yeah. I have a lot broader uh, imaginings of what fits under categories, such as artist or painter. If someone paints, paints miniatures, I consider them a painter. If someone has picked up painting at some point, they're a painter. And that's why, I, even though I don't always work as a printmaker, I actually predominantly work as just a sketchbook doodler. I still call myself a printmaker. Is that on your resume? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doodler. Yeah. Doodler. Like, doodler. I predominantly work in sketchbooks. So when it comes to people like, oh, can I have this? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's stuck. It's I'm stuck. not selling you the whole book either because I love it. So bye. <laughs> I think a lot of it I see is restrictions, but also I understand the importance of having labels that you can, especially when you're starting out in something, to find people who have similar interests so people can basically understand what you're trying to say. Like a lot of times if I say, oh, I'm a printmaker, a lot of people just have big wide eyes that have no clue what I'm talking about. And, or they assume I'm a digital printer or I print things in a print shop like Staples. I'm a printer. I've always had a terrible relationship with digital printers. <laughs> yeah. I'm a printer and I can sense your fear. Listen, yes. I worked in a print shop for a year. Awful. <laughs> it was, I was like, never they again. They are the devil. <laughs> Yeah, and you Incarnate. know what's more of the devil are the demons who bring you the files that are so fucked up that they don't even work. And then they're like, can you fix it for me? I'm like, no. Anyway. You already screwed it up. Yeah. My favorite is when they would come and bring me like an AI file. I'm like, I need a PDF, bitch. <laughs> this ain't gonna work. This is like bringing me Greek from France. I only speak emoji, okay? Yeah, it's like, wow. these languages do not match. <laughs> So yeah, I see a lot of restriction. 
I see helpful guidance, but I feel that people put too much weight on labels. And I even find out myself, like it's not only a, a weight on labels, it's a stringent adherence. And a lot of artists I see online and people I know in person are always saying like, well, I don't know. I just, I wanted to do this other thing, but like, I've always been yeah, I've always a drawer that. or I always did realistic, but now I'm kind of exploring something else. I feel like my whole identity is gone. And I don't know. I don't see a problem with that. And I wish more people were willing to be like, well, I was a painter and now I am a print maker who maybe will do a painting if I feel like it. <laughs> but right now I'm focused on this other thing. Yeah, I love this because I think it touches on the liminality piece that we were discussing earlier, which is where you're kind of like in the margins of stuff. And like, yeah. Gio, you can soapbox this if you want this next part. Always, <laughs> always producing. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was weird even for me to start thinking of myself as a podcaster, even though we've been doing this for a year now and people would be like, oh, you have a podcast podcast like you know like how many episodes and I would be like 56 now or whatever and people would be like the fuck like I thought you were gonna say commitment yeah exactly and it's like I think that people get so attached to labels because like you said it can be a way of moving through communities identifying yourself really clearly and sort of like finding your people but at the same time we get so attached like people Very. love a label and like I'm gonna just go there because it's pride month and it's happening there's so much online discourse right now about people not labeling themselves properly in the like 2s lgbtq plus community and it drives me crazy because like why do you need a label the label mm. is for you first and foremost so if you don't like one pick one that you like or don't pick any at all because it's none of my fucking business and I relate to that as the person who can't seem to pick a label. Yes. Um, and that's yeah. why also it makes me really mad when people call queer a slur because I'm like, for a lot of folks, that is a huge umbrella term that they it can cover spaces. Co- yes, exactly. Hi, Gio. I see your hand up. So, because so, that made me think of it like the umbrella term. So, going back to like the art, like artists, whatever, like how you label, your, label yourself. For me, the way I look at that is the term creative. Yeah. I'm a creative where, yeah, I have a podcast. I run a business that's in design. I paint on the side. I draw in my notebooks, like whatever. I'm I a creative. draw eyes. These eyes. <laughs> <laughs> also, These he's eyes. moonlighting as a singer on the podcast. I don't know. If Specifically, you, yeah, yes. Just also, just podcast. sidebar, last night I was at my parents and I was like being annoying and like being like operatic and singing whatever. And my dad goes, you know, Gio, you have a pretty good voice. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I should think about a podcast. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Marcello. Appreciate but you know what? I, but you know what I'm saying though, like about the creative mm-hmm. thing. Like to me, it's like I just say that. Like obviously, like yes, I'm a designer and blah blah blah. But I like how in even in our what, what would we call it? like our bio, our podcast bio. Yeah. It's like by creatives for creatives. You know what I mean? Like the, I can't even remember our own thing. <laughs> you know what I'm I saying? think you got it. Yeah, As a thank person you. who listens, you listen. <laughs> to me oh (laughs) but it's so true and I think that that was really intentional on our part because especially for people who are starting out we really want to kind of like model that you don't have to subscribe to a specific label because I think 
as a younger creative, a lot of people who are kind of trying to make their path in whatever their chosen creative field is, I think that the labels can sometimes feel like they're giving you a form of legitimacy too. Like, mm -hmm. oh, this is something that people yeah. recognize, or I'm going to like dedicate myself to this until I can be recognized as this thing. And it's like, you really don't need to do that. You could just fucking do what you want and people that, will figure yeah. it out. <laughs> as a kid growing up, I was the artist in yeah. our school. There was one other person in my grade who did art. But I was the artist because I, I was always doodling. You, but like the gay kid artist. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah, that's legit. That's a I real that category. So many that's, parallels. That's <laughs> a, <laughs> I I was the queer kid. I mm -hmm. before we knew that was the thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, and I think even like just from childhood, I've wanted to break labels so hard because I just got mad at them. It's like, oh, you can't play with us. You don't run fast enough. It's like, well. I can run still I'm just not good at it there's space <laughs> for everybody it's like yeah it's like I fit in this I just wish everything could be on a spectrum that would make my life so happy I am not the same person I was yesterday or months ago high school me would not fucking recognize current me like <laughs> they don't feel like the same person at all I can't see myself as that kid anymore because we're so different. We have so many different experiences and labeling any of that feels like, it's like trying to describe a flower and you just put a stamp down of a very basic drawn flower. It doesn't cover the spectrum. Going back to like the LGBTQ2 plus situation, I never felt comfortable in those spaces. Like in university, when I finally was in a space that had something, like that yeah I went to a few gatherings and I was like these are not I'm 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 sorry I'm not you like I can't fit into these spaces I don't know what the fuck I am I just know I'm not that <laughs> I'm not yeah. that over there and there's yeah. so I think it's partly like people and especially people who are not it's both though I was gonna say like straight people but it's also people within like the. it's also LGBT. it's also the queer people like that's right we um, we put labels on ourselves yes yeah and they ask well what do you identify as and yep. immediately I'm like <laughs> um <laughs> currently I am yeah vaguely non-binary yeah yeah <laughs> I technically have two partners so I'm pan or poly, poly. wrong word yeah yeah <laughs> um I like both people so there's some bi in there somewhere mm -hmm. Because it's this whole thing of like, okay, so if you are, you know, trans non-binary, like you have to give me that. Like, what's my expectation of what trans non-binary looks like? Or what's my expectation yes. of what a bi person looks like or whatever. It's almost like by labeling yourself, you're opening up this like opportunity for somebody to impose their own vision of whatever term you're using onto you, which is oh, really happens exhausting. A lot. Yes. Yeah. Like when I have decided today is a dress day. Yeah. And I want to wear a very nice dress. Um, well, as do we all. Yeah. People are like, oh, whoa, whoa, where did this come from? You're so feminine. I'm like, eh. It's in my closet. I've had it forever. I just actually feel like it today. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get that. I totally get that because I'm starting to kind of like do that with my close friends and my family and being like you know I don't really subscribe to being a woman all the time actually I mm -hmm. think that I've 
I like gender queer and I like gender fluid, but a lot of the time, the way I feel the most is just a gender. I'm like, gender's gross. I'm allergic to it. And that's not and, yeah. under the umbrella of LGBTQ. <laughs> no, and I, and then there's me who's like, oh. uh, I kind of like non-binary because I think the binary is dumb. So yeah, I want it to not dumb. exist. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and then I choose that. But then I think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm also kind of gender queer, but on other days I'm a gender, and then other times I'm gender fluid. But Because I know that for me, like my journey into mental health and sort of like the impact that's had on my creative practice has just been like, like this, I'm doing like up and down because it's been wild. And like most recently, I've started really looking into ADHD and figuring out if that's a diagnosis that applies to me or is helpful in any way. And it does feel revelatory in a way because I'm like all these years I've spent beating myself up mentally for not being able to produce or commit to anything or like starting a project getting super far into it and then just abandoning it like I've never even met her before like a hundred times I'm like oh there's actually a reason for this and this isn't just something that people all like all struggle with so how has that been for you Leanne and um yeah just tell us about it. Um, I guess the biggest thing is over the years realizing that um, though diagnosis are, can be very helpful, yeah. Um, I've also found the bad in it, like the yeah. the negative. Um, in my own experience, uh, I had a lot of issues in high school because I didn't know why I felt the way I do. And I still don't. Um, a lot of my experience with mental health is, why do I feel this way? I have no reason. Because unlike a lot of what I read about or hear about, I don't have that intense trauma. There's a bit of family history, definitely. But I didn't understand that. And so for me, it was like, wow, I don't give a shit about anything what's happened. I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. I'm going to leave everybody alone. And I couldn't find a way to feel good anymore. And I just kept it away from everyone because I didn't want to bother them because I didn't know how to explain to them why I was feeling so empty. Yeah, you um, couldn't find a justification. That's no, I couldn't yeah. find any justification. I mean, I did fit in the category of having been bullied, but not intense bullying, not a constant, not a oppressive scenario um i like in my history manipulation has definitely been a part emotional i almost have a hard time calling it abuse because i didn't see that at the time and didn't accept it as that or even consider that as a possibility i stopped eating lunches with everyone i found a nice little corner under the stairs that i sat in and just read <laughs> during lunch breaks. The big thing was I found relief through self-harm. That was my, my escape. That was the, hey, now I have a physical pain. This is why I feel bad. It gave me something to, it was like a relief and it became everything. Like started just with purposely bruising myself was the main thing. And then realizing, or cutting my nails till they bled or chewing my nails till they bled, just something. So I could feel a physical pain 
and yeah. justify why I felt internal pain so much. Right? Like you can yes. control it as well. In a way, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me though was that there was a reason for the pain. And that was something I needed. But of course, like thanks, internet. Um, good and bad. <laughs> uh learning about things about mental health was good learning that other people coped with self-harm and the other methods they used introduced me to more. And actually, oddly enough, I read an article in the Edmonton Journal about someone talking about their recovery. And I was like, oh, I could do that. That might feel better. <laughs> like that's more intense. Maybe that will give me what I need to get over this. And so cutting myself was a thing, but that also was what made everything way more visible because I bruise easily. I always bruised easily. So that was just common, but all the scratches, like that's the thing, I never wanted it to be obvious. So I, it's not your stereotypical intensely visual version. It's scraped up skins, nails, like over scratching your skin till it's raw, things like that. And so it's less, I try not less visually obvious, I guess, in a sense. Still my, my parents were figuring it out and were very supportive. I introduced to a doctor, given a, di- a bit of a diagnosis of depression, given medication, said medications <laughs> were not fun on my body, yeah. either through the increase in dose or the forgetting of taking a dose. I was hallucinating and they had to hospitalize me in my final year of grade 11 after being diagnosed at the beginning of grade 11. And I needed to be stabilized basically. Like, so I spent some time in mental hospital ward, I guess it was more of a ward. I still had that issue of where's this pain coming from? Because all the people I was with had such traumatic experiences, such hardships they had to face in their life. And I was sitting there like, I don't know where this is coming from. Uh, I just hate it. And it helps me hate myself in that sense. In a way, once I got the diagnosis and got out, I was given both depression and social anxiety disorder because I don't like talking in front of people, like presentation-wise. But then after that diagnosis, that became my life. I took it very seriously. I was like, okay, so if I have social anxiety, I can no longer function in social situations. I used to be able to go to them. I didn't like it. I went to the mall. Now, when I'm at the mall, I can't look at the people. I have to look at the ground. People need to help guide me. Like, it became a thing that I needed to fit more into the category because that's what diagnosis I had been given. Over time, and without like a very stable psychiatrist, therapist, doctor situation, (laughs) I've had many doctors over the years just because of moving different locations, things like that. I slowly realized that I wasn't defined by whatever my diagnosis was. I just needed to find ways to be stable and healthy. Because the thing is, I don't remember a lot from once, once I was started on medication. Like I don't, a lot of my memories are gone. It's a big old blurry patch. So like my last bits of high school, my first bits of college, a lot of my memory is really bad. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that was there before, but I really notice it after starting on medication. So it's a lot of where I'm at. Like I've been slowly weaned off of a lot of the big ones I was initially given, put on new things. The hard part is there's no stability in my medical self. So now as I'm 
growing older, I'm realizing, well, there's a lot more going on than just these categories of social anxiety and depression. Though I am very thoroughly defined by my mental health, I'm not defined by my diagnosis as much. I have forgotten what you initially asked me. I just kept going. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're just talking about the mental health impact on art. And I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, Leanne, because that's so much of it is so deeply personal. And I definitely hear that. Like, so I think that it's so hard to kind of strike this balance between, you know, like we live in, we always talk about capitalist driven society and when you make art there's this pressure to like do something with it it's like well yeah you're gonna show it or yeah you're gonna sell it or you're gonna make something out of it but yeah some of us some of us just want to use our art as a maladaptive coping mechanism okay like I didn't realize that a lot of like my reading was driven by disassociation like it was really helping me to disassociate when stuff was stressful or I couldn't emotionally regulate right So, but then I became much like you were the artist. I became the kid who reads constantly. Oh, Renee's right. Renee likes books. Like Renee, you know, reads so much or Renee writes or whatever. And yeah, I was both the book person and the art person. (laughs) Yeah. So then it becomes this thing of like, you know, at what point do you become a slave to sort of this identity that you created out of a, out of an affinity, right? But then it becomes less of an affinity and more a burden at a certain point and it, it can be very uh, hard to disentangle those two things. I still love to read and I still love to write, but more and more I see myself trying to step back and be like, okay, but why? Like, what is driving this? Or like, what am I getting out of this? Or how can I make this more for me? Kind of like your teacher being like, oh, maybe you should showcase the art that you actually like making (laughs) instead of like trying to create this like bestiary of folklore. (laughs) Like that's literally what I was doing. I was very inspired by a photographer who was cataloging, um, uh, folk costumes. His name's Charles Frager. I have two of his books. Um, and I was just recreating what he had documented because I wanted to make these creatures. But like that doesn't have a lot of substance. Right. Like you weren't connected so, with it in the same way. No. I just was making it because I could and I knew how. Yeah. And I still like creating creatures or characters, but I've realized how much the art has taken over uh, the emotional side. of. When I was younger, it was escapism. Yes. Characters, stories, I basically rewrote every book I read in my mind as a story and I drew the characters. Now it's, it plays a different role in my life and I'm okay letting go of the expectations of the title of artist or printmaker. Yeah. Because I can't do that in the sense of I don't want to I shouldn't say I can't I don't want to (laughs) trying to put that extra effort into making an online presence or a farmer's market presence or a commission presence it drains me so fast I get like two days and then I'm out I have no Mm -hmm. stamina I can't do it and that's why I always admire people like Geo who gets do that thing all the time <laughs> and I it's stressful but you you're you're managing it and you're able to do it and you get excited about it still and 
hey you're making a face but you still you seem pretty excited when you talk about it (laughs) yeah the thing with that though is that it's just so much work it's just so much work literally the last 48 hours i've been spending on creating the social media content that will go out in july just so that i don't have to do it throughout the month so i just kind of like hand it over and be like all right, people who manage my socials, go push it out to the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause otherwise yeah. it's just, but it's, it's work. Like I have to think what's my messaging. What's my theme for the month? Who am I targeting? Who am I trying to like hook as yeah. a client? It's so much work. And I'm one person. I'm like, yes. do it for me, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's another part of it. Like I wore myself out trying to keep up with social media with all that stuff and I was like what the hell am I doing this yeah and then try and add a (laughs) podcast and creating content for the podcast Uh to try to promote it it's like I'm doing two three four people's jobs at once Mm -hmm. Renee I'm not doing anything (laughs) I told you I was like fuck social media I don't want to do it I know but it's a black stain on my soul absolutely not speaking of black stains on my soul anxiety attacks so i was like no i'm not doing this anymore it it is annoying it is annoying it's so annoying Mm -hmm. yeah it's really hard that's that toxic hustle culture but i think like our practices as artists is a constant renegotiation of these boundaries around like who are we what is our identity as an artist what are we putting into our creative practice and where do we draw the line and go you know i just can't or won't do this anymore a look back at your creative career up to this point and had to give it a theme what would it be and why why (laughs) i think one of the best words in general is liminality a liminal space and i think that's the best way to describe what i create because it doesn't exist in a specific spot Mm -hmm. and it also is ever-changing if you were to look at my sketchbook from a year ago you're like oh i see the seeds of where you're at now but also this is completely different yeah um and I'm not afraid to not create the same things. Like if I ever get tired of goop and bodies and weird growing plants and pieces of flesh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the face, Gio, I love it. <laughs> I, I'm just like, so like gourd and anything like that is always like, <laughs> it's so good though. Like I'm looking at your mushroom but it's people not and they're so no, but Or bloody. No, but your work is not like that. Like, <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like, to say like the word flesh, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, it's so weird. But like, if I ever get tired of that, I'm content. Like, maybe yeah. I'll go back and I'll draw a bunch of dragons again. Like, ten year old me was obsessed with. Yes. Like, oh, I'm supportive of that. You know, I actually tried to draw. What was it? Shit. What was it? Oh, it was a goat bat. Um, <laughs> combining goats and bats. Hi, they actually look very similar. <laughs> isn't that just like satan (laughs) kind of but they turned out slightly cute so (laughs) um well i want to see that so on the topic of instagram accounts yes connect with you online if they want to see more of your work predominantly actually only place i put stuff is instagram my account is at sumzerbutt s-u-m-z-e-r but (laughs) yeah that's where you're gonna find me every once in a while i do things with edmonton or i guess podcast interviews now um (laughs) are we your first yeah oh i am a hermit (laughs) (laughs) well thank you i do nothing (laughs) 
I still feel very honored. I feel very VIP right now. You should, because I think the only other interviews I've done have been for universities. <laughs> I have a couple publications that I keep to myself. I guess I made a book a few years ago with other artists who work with body horror and mental health. Um, I still have some of those available, but people will have to contact me through Instagram because I got nothing else. And I've looked at it and I'm scared. <laughs> you posted about those on your Instagram, like a, a little wee while. Yes. What are they called? What is it called? Uh, it is a red cover. Familiar Monsters. Yes, Familiar Monsters. I did all of the layouts in Photoshop. What? Yeah. Not Illustrator or Publisher? No, no, no. no. You don't use or Illustrator. InDesign? Sorry, InDesign. InDesign. Here's the thing. Wait, okay, wait, Photoshop, I missed though. out on InDesign. Yeah. I never learned it because I started at Reggie College where they treated it like a, a full male deal. You didn't learn digital stuff there. And then I transferred to U of A and my credentials didn't involve taking graphic design again. So I never learned InDesign. Well, it thank is. you so much for talking to us, Leah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it so much. I talked so much. I guess I, I was know, supposed I'm, to. But It's so <laughs> great. I'm so proud of you. You did it. You did it. it. Art school has trained me to monologue. Yes, <laughs> I enjoyed it. As somebody who enjoys delivering a good monologue, I also enjoy receiving a monologue. I don't know what happened. Retail and art school broke me, and now I will speak. Anyway, I gotta let you go. Bye. Sorry. Bye. It was so nice to meet you. Yes, you a pleasure to meet you. Come to our next writing group meeting, and I will see you there. Yes, I didn't read working. the book for the last one, That's and then I ended up working, so. Davis quit halfway through reading the book, and then told me so in the meeting, and it was quite yeah. hilarious. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye, my friend. Love you both. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I know they weren't at book club this weekend and I was kind of bummed but I figured that they were working and probably didn't have time to read the book mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway that was that was fun <laughs> yeah it was lovely I don't know anything about printmaking and I'm so intrigued at the like history behind it and all that oh that we when I was in my first couple years of school uh like post uh post-secondary we did so much of it it was just like the thing because it was before you're allowed to touch a computer, you're going to learn how to do printing the old way. And it was just, oh. it was, yeah, which was good in retrospect, yeah. but I have not touched it since. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I didn't realize it was something that you could like even major in. I do feel like I remember mm -hmm. you talking to me about printing. There is a printmaking program at OCAD. I don't know if it exists anymore, but it was there when I was there a hundred years ago. So yeah, 150. 84 years. It's but. been 84 <laughs> years and I'm melting. Speaking of 84 84 years this this recording yeah <laughs> and to me and if you have any burning questions oh fuck <laughs> every time <laughs> and if you have any suggestions for episode topics or you want to know more about my body whore days <laughs> oh my god you can email us at listen to me podcast at gmail.com or message us on the socials at listen to me pod uh, so today, Gio released our latest <laughs> Listen to Me Watch episode. We got drunk and watched, um, oh Barb, my God, Barbie, Barbie Star, Star, Go to Vista Del Mar. 
I'm obsessed with the clip teaser that you put together because it's just so disjointed. It's yeah. just me at my most manic and least <laughs> contextual. I love it so much. Yes. So if you want more of that, you can log on to patreon.com slash listen to me pod to help support the show and get access to a bunch of fun bonus content that we are mm. making. Mm-hmm. And as usual, the music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Goodbye. Ciao. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.